Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about Music Masters Collective, a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. These events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like the Fab Faux, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, John Schofield, Nels Klein, the Milk Carton Kids, and many more. This June, join the Wait Band, featuring members of the band and the Levon Helm Band with special guests including Jimmy Vivino, Bob Margolin, Lost Leaders, Chris O'Leary, Cindy Cashdollar, Stony Creek Band, Rob Fraboni, Larry Packer, and so many more at Camp Cripple Creek. This all-inclusive music vacation in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York promises to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience featuring performances, workshops, jams, comfortable lodging, and superb dining. Visit CampCrippleCreek.com slash Undermine to register today. That's CampCrippleCreek.com slash Undermine. Osiris. Welcome to Undermine Season 4, Episode 11. That number 11 makes this season our biggest one yet. And we're just getting started, with more than 30 episodes ahead of us still, Benji. Anyway, I'm Tom Marshall, and I'll be your tour guide, your fish tour guide, as we continue to set the flux capacitor for 14 more stops along Fish 1.0 history. That would be, of course, in the 1990s. We're counting down to the ultimate rewind of Fall 97, the tour when fish destroyed America. We'll be discussing every one of those shows on its anniversary. In the meantime, you can catch new Undermine episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're glad to have you on this ride with us, and we hope that you play along at home by listening to these shows alongside the corresponding Undermine episodes. If you're a completist when it comes to fish, maybe you want to listen to the complete show before the episode. We'll always tweet the show date a couple days in advance, and remember, you can catch us not only on all your podcast platforms, but also on YouTube, where you can see our mouths move as we lip sync to our own conversation. For this season of Undermine, 
We'll be discussing the show highlights, so if you don't have time for the homework, you can always listen to them afterwards, or concurrently. You could even, if you wanted to, pause this right now and listen to the Reba from 103194, or light incense and take out your vinyl copy of the Beatles' White Album. There are no rules. We are just undermine. As you may have figured out, for each of these episodes, I'm joined either by RJB or Benji Eisen. Today, as I mentioned, and the YouTubers can see, it's Benji Eisen. Hi, Benji. Hi, Tom. It's actually not just me and RJ here to keep you company and uh, nerd out to fish. We also have a special guest. Uh, you know, we always have somebody that was either at the show or else has a unique perspective that can shed some light on it. Today, we're talking about the first Halloween costume show, which was October 31st, 1994, Glens Falls, New York. Now, you know, Fish had played Halloween parties before, but this was the first one where the band had announced that it was going to be a three-set show and that the second set would be a musical costume, another band's album in, in its entirety. You know, I remember that in the newsletter, the Doniach Vice, they invited fans to send postcards with their suggestion for an album. So I did. And um, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that I wrote Bon Jovi, New Jersey, thinking that it was, you know, funny, even though I knew I was throwing away the vote. But uh, <laughs> maybe, true story, maybe our special guest today voted, we'll have to ask him. But first, Tom, as your co-host, I know you're going to make me say this. So listen. Say it. Say it. Okay, listen. <laughs> <laughs> if you've been enjoying this season of Undermine, then please consider upgrading by subscribing to Osiris uh, Premium on Apple where you will get ad-free podcasts, you'll get bonus episodes, and you'll even get more. Okay, Tom, tell us about our guest. Well, Benji, first I want to say that our guest today actually went to the show that we're, that we're talking about. <laughs> like we had some funny things, like we got Shelly Culbertson who worked for Fish in Vermont, but she didn't go to the show in Vermont that had Santana, you know. <laughs> um, and then we had uh, John Paluska, Fish's manager, not at the show in Colorado. And then we had uh, recently uh, Josh Carver. Um, there were three Roxy shows. We happened to be doing the center one. He went to this one and this one, but not this one. You know what I'm saying? So um, anyway, our guest today went to the goddamn show <laughs> that we're talking about. His name is Aaron Stein. He's one of the founding fathers of the New York City Freaks List. And according to Andy Gadiel, our friend, our good friend, who we're going to have on soon, I hope, he sometimes sees a concert every night. He, has all, he also has a perfect attendance to fish Halloween. Wow. Benji, can you say the same? Well, close. He beat me by two. Wow. And he beats me by one. And you know what? Until just recently, I was at every single one, except I was afraid of COVID. And now I'm not because I had it, of course. But uh, I was afraid to go to Sci-Fi Soldier in Vegas, the, the show everybody got COVID. Um, you would have gotten it there. <laughs> I would have gotten it and everything would have been fine. But And then I would still have a perfect attendance. But uh, let's bring Aaron Stein in from the waiting room. And uh, anyway, so thank you, COVID, for making me not have a perfect uh, attendance for Halloween. So this guy has us both beat. Welcome to Undermine, Aaron Stein. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. 
Oh, yeah. So great. Yeah. I was at the show with you. Uh, we were just talking about uh, in, in Glens Falls. And um, is it true that you were riding the rail on this night? I was riding the rail, Tom. And let me tell you something. Everyone wants to be front row center until John Fishman penis is right in front of your nose. <laughs> Do you know that in the old days, he didn't wear underwear? And so well, that... I found out that night for sure. <laughs> well, well, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Because he took off the dress. But even if you happen to, you know, not even if you were trying, the, the drums used to be close. And yeah. uh, every now and then, if you caught like the wrong view, you'd realize that he didn't wear underwear under that dress for a long time. He does now, though. I'm happy to report. That's but good. When somebody says that they were at the show, and I'm looking at both of you gents, when somebody says they're at the show, the first thing I think is, oh, you've seen Fishman naked. Yeah, but then again, then again, I think it goes beyond the building. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we, we, we can't talk about that, though. Uh, we, we've signed an agreement. <laughs> Yeah. So yes, we're on the rail. It was a crazy, crazy energy in the building that night for sure. You uh, know, Aaron, I was at that venue when Fish returned in 2013. Yep. And uh, for context, it's a fraction of the size of a typical East Coast fish arena. It holds less than 5,000 people and it's in the middle of this small town. So the scene, you know, kind of spills over into the streets. But since it's such a tiny uh, you know, since the venue's so small, it's a tiny footprint comparatively anyway. Um, what do you remember of the visible fish scene at this time in 1994 outside well, of, of Glens Falls? Was there, was there a shakedown? There was, um, there was definitely, it was a little rainy. I remember it very well. It was a rainy night. So there were, there were a lot of people milling around. There was, it was a very, very hard ticket. A lot of people looking for tickets, um, people in costumes, and this was around the time, I don't know, there was this sort of weird energy. It kind of spilled over from the dead scene where there was a big, we're going to, we're, we're going to get in the show without paying. <laughs> and there was a lot of that in fall 94. And um, it, so there, there, I don't remember there being a shakedown. I remember there just being a lot of people outside, a lot of people looking for tickets, a lot of like weird energy. Um, the interesting thing about this show, I've talked to people about it a lot that they don't realize is that the show started I think the ticket time was nine. It started started at 10 o'clock and was a very late start. So, but the milling, it was like a much more different energy than you might have in a regular, uh, at regular fish show where people were milling around at eight, almost nine o'clock um, going in. I went in early, as I mentioned, it was up front. Um, and then at some point when people are waiting to come in, all of a sudden these people started pouring in from the rafters, like somehow broken in on the roof. I found out later. And so there was all this like energy and just something cracked and everything went crazy. And it just seemed like lawlessness had, had taken over the room. Um, it was a small place and it felt even like too small for the band at the time. Like that just the, the thing was so much bigger. And it was one of these incidents where instances in the nineties where they kind of called their shot where they're, you know, they've, you, I see the shows you guys are talking about and they're all great shows, but this is one where they're basically like, this is going to be special. Like they announced it beforehand. There's a few of those, you know, that Clifford ball, big Cypress, maybe you could say Baker says, and where they're like, by the way, this we're doing something amazing beforehand. And so that just led to, uh, you know, sort of pandemonium in the, in the energy, I think. Well, it definitely was an incredibly hyped show. And I remember, um, uh, did we get a, was this one of those where we got a playlist? Remember the uh, playbill? Nope, they, nope, we did not. There was no. no, the first couple Halloweens, there was no playbill. And so a lot of people figured it was white album. I, for whatever reason, everyone was like, it's going to be a double album, either that or physical graffiti. And, um, but we had no idea until the first notes were played. 
Right. And they kind of messed with us a, a little bit in the first set, as yeah. I recall. The um, It was definitely, a, it was a hyped show. I remember, like you said, this like kind of weird energy. I don't really remember the the floor getting crowded because I think I was like wedged next to the soundboard in sort of like a mini protected area near Corota. Um, but it, I remember it being feeling really big. I mean, now you go and it's 5,000, that's small, but I remember it feeling big, but crowded. And it was just, the energy was amazing. The energy was amazing. It was really, and the interesting thing about it, I mean, I'm sure you can get into the, that obviously they paid the white album. Everyone knows that. And the white album is a long album and it's not that high energy. Actually people like the, the, the room kind of blew its load. And then there was sort of this middle part where they're in the middle of the white album and people started sitting down and, and the, the energy got like, and it was just more like you were just witnessing something unreal. Um, but the energy, the energy part more sort of went inside your head where you're just like, I cannot believe what I'm seeing right now. It went I on I- and on <laughs> and on. I agree. I agree. It's just a long album. You're like, listen, album, and you're like, where are the bangers in, in White Album? And you're like, there really are only a couple. And so it was this, and they just looked like they were trying to get through it. And they did, they got through it, obviously. But it was, the energy went like that um, in that second set. It was uh, something to watch for sure. You and know, then, there's, always, there's, there's always those rumors that lead up to Halloween where every single time there's the rumor that, okay, they're going to play the Grateful Dead. They're going to play Jimi Hendrix. I remember there, the rumor for this, um, I remember on, on Fishnet and online, there was a Joe's Garage rumor that was going around. Uh, and then you said that you didn't know until you actually were inside the building. Until they started playing it. In fact, it was interesting. If you go back and look at the the announcement of the show, of the show, they were like, we're sometime during the night, we're gonna play an album. And they kind of were vague about how everyone figured it was gonna be a three-set show. And like everyone figured it would go down how it went down, but you weren't sure until and they came out and there was you know this Pink Floyd sounds over they, they were fucking with you to the end. And um, but you didn't know until and then they played the Ed Sullivan. busted in, uh, to, into back in the USR. They're like, oh yeah, okay. They're doing what we thought they were going to do, but we weren't sure until the last minute. So it was, uh, it, you didn't know. You didn't know until they started playing it. And it's similar to the second Halloween. And then the third one, they handed it to you and went in. And I think it was because they were, and they kind of went out. I think they were like, all right, now we're going to play what we want. Because this was selected by, well, in theory, uh, was selected by a vote. Uh, so. Did you vote? I did not. I did. I didn't vote the first year. No, I was, uh, the second year I did, I was uh, I was high on Thriller. Uh, the second year in '95, but the first year I did not vote. Um, your vote counts, uh, but what's that? I said your vote counts. So though there's of course the debate as to whether or not the White Album actually won the most amount of votes. Right. Was that what they just wanted to do? That being said, it was such a safe bet because it's the, it's the Beatles. You know, um, which is a band that Tom and I just found out about. So we are going to, uh, we're going to have to actually take a quick break so that you guys get to enjoy a quick word from our sponsors. While Tom and I, you'll like, we'll quickly do a little primer on the Fab Four. Uh, we'll be right back, everybody. We're back. 
and the walrus was obviously Henrietta. So, Aaron, um, did the White Album mean anything to you before this night? It did, actually, yeah. I mean, my dad was a huge Beatles fan. I was thinking about it, thinking about you and talking to you guys about it, and the first time I remember hearing the White Album, and um, um, my dad listened, you know, we listened to the Beatles, and I, was, I must have been very young because I was playing with a friend and being loud. He's like, quiet down and listen to music. And then, uh, you know, 15 minutes later, Revolution Number no. 9 is playing and in, in, my, in my parents' living room. And I was just like, what? You know, I just remember this like, what are you listening to? This is not music. And like telling my dad, like, you know, like being like, well, you're telling me to be quiet. Like I had that sort of, um, and that was sort of like being very aware of, of, um, of something, you know, that the Beatles were bigger than just sort of what I had known They sort of as, as a young child. And, and so, yes, the album was really brings me back to those kind of like, you know, um, my dad had it on vinyl and, and listening to it over and over, but that I, I remember very distinct, I have a very distinct memory of hearing revolution number no. nine and just hearing these noises and not knowing that that's the kind of things that could come out of a, out of a record. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. That's well said because, uh, you know, this album wasn't very uh, compared to like Abbey Road or, or something, wasn't coherently put together. And uh, there were things that kind of came out of left field. And I think maybe John and Yoko had a little bit more uh, influence of putting some weird stuff on there. And for sure, Revolution 9 is just like, I could see Paul saying, well, all right, if you insist. Uh, you can... <laughs> but yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, makes you think that, wow, what's going on with these these guys? Yeah, and it's very it's a very studio album, right? I mean, obviously all those other ones, but I mean, and, and, and someone, I remember once during some Beatles retrospective, someone talking about this album and how, it hops around genre. I never really appreciated that much, but it hops around genres a lot. Like there's this, real, there's a real heavy rock. There's like country, this kind of, and how hearing that, I'm like, well, that was really well suited for Fish to play because this is what Fish does. They hop around, they're playing a country tune, then they're like ripping something, uh, rocking it out, and so they kind of, um, they didn't, they did a couple subversions in there, but not a lot. They they could play it straight and still uh, flex all their muscles over the course of that very long set. Guys, let's uh, stop this Beatles talk for one second to to talk about uh, the other thing about this night. You know, it, it was it was a fish show, and not all Halloween. You can't always say this for Halloween, but there were two great sets of fish yeah. on ten thirty one ninety four as well. You know, we have a first set harpua, uh, and then that the third set. Which, as you mentioned, Aaron, at that point, I remember friends of mine that were in the building telling me that they were falling asleep by the time the antelope came along.
I, I can tell you a story about this. The, the Antelope Star, I mean, it was really, I think it must have been the longest and latest show besides Cypress. I believe that's true. And it was exhausting. And they started playing Antelope. And of course, the band in 94 was playing at three times the speed they now, if not more. So they started Antelope. And I, I'll tell you a story. Many years later, I was at the Gorge and I was waiting at him. You know, you talk about what shows you've been to. So this must have been 97 or 98. And so, and we were talking about Halloween. I was like up front. I was like, I was up front for Halloween. And there I was like, I was too. And he goes, wait, you were the guy when they started Antelope at two in the morning, you screamed at the stage. Are you fucking kidding me? Because that was basically my sentiment. Like you expect me to dance to Antelope now? Like I got nothing left in the tank. Um, that was crazy. I mean, just the, the, the way, you know, they played Antelope so fast back then. Um, they did. What, what other, what other portions of the, of the fish part of the night, uh, do you recall? Like what comes to mind when you think, when you think. Well, definitely that? the opening Frankenstein, um, where fish Trey comes out with the, with this mask on. I don't even, I mean, you can probably find videos online where he had, to, I guess it was like a fluff head, but it was just this sort of contraption on his head <laughs> and they just come out and it was like, you know, you've seen Halloween since then, but it was, you know, you do go to a fish show and they open with Frankenstein and they're just like, they knew, they knew they had this show by the balls at the beginning. Like they were just ready to go and it was just bonkers. with the with the war pigs in the middle and yeah. this sort of um just you know when they were you know back when trey would really dig into those stories and that was its own like epic thing uh do you remember more stuff. of that do you remember the narrative there was like something about barney right yeah barney playing it backwards and yeah. vibration of death like it was really <laughs> <That's> um, right. <laughs> there were like five things in that harpool alone that were noteworthy i think um and then, um, yeah, and then, right, so, I, and then the, the fact that, that they, they ended with Antelope and then they come back and do this uh, costume contest and then they, they ended the show, the encore with Squirming Coil, which was the, you know, the ending of Squirming Coil is as mellow as the band gets. It was like, just Paige on piano. And uh, my girlfriend at the time and I were like hopping in the car and driving back to, I remember just thinking, I'm like, this is exactly what I don't need to say. <laughs> like, we drove after the show and I was just so exhausted. I've never been so spent from a show. And I was like, I needed something a little, I needed something a little bit more to send me going uh, instead of this Squirming Coil piano solo. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of highlights for sure. I mean, that was to me, uh, some good, some good fall '94 action for sure. Beyond the second you, set, you uh, mentioned the uh, the costume contest. Uh, tell me that you went in in costume. <laughs> I, I I'm not a good costume person, but I want to tell you, I, I made a, a a big black furry creature for Mars costume. I went to the mall and got a T-shirt made, and I want you to know that I'm wearing that T-shirt now. I still own it. If you're watching on YouTube, by the way, you guys can see okay. it. And um, I've worn this T-shirt to nearly every Halloween since. It's been worn about 10 times. So I did have a costume. It wasn't very good, but I didn't half-ass it. Um, but a funny I like you talk about the fish fish fans. This is like, we'll give you, if you think fish fans are cranky now, they always were. So I had a, a friend that I went to school with, and I, I'm like, you got to come. He'd never seen fish before. He loves, loves music. So he got really excited about going, and he made this very elaborate. You know, the the, the directive was make a, make a costume that's from a fish song 
So everyone was dressed as a song. I was Big Black Fairy Creature. My brother, Gwyneth Fluffhead. My, my friend decided he was going to make a Jimi Hendrix costume. And, he, and it was just amazing. He had the wig and the outfit. And he made a, 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 a guitar out of wood. And it was just really good costume. And someone got to the show and someone was like, that's not a fish song. And I mean, it was, I, 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 I remember this being like, I'm, I would just be like apologetic on, on behalf of all of fish fans. We're not all that pedantic. Like it was just, he was just like, what the hell? Like that was his first entree into the, into the scene was someone giving him a hard time about his costume, but there were some good ones for sure. Mine was not very good, but. <laughs> Why am I running? <laughs> I, I, like had a, I had a, a more than this, but it was okay. a, a looking like some Martian of some sort. I, nice. I, I wish I had pictures. I could see how bad it was. I'll just have to live on. It should be. Mind. Why do I want to kill you? Right? Shouldn't it be? Well, that's. A little... I, I think that might have been. A, that's the kind of T-shirt that you know. You know. You when you wear... go to the mall and ask them to make you a T-shirt, they might. You don't wear. Yeah, do yeah exactly. <laughs> if your T-shirts make me a T-shirt that says "Why do I want to kill you?" and they, you know, you might, you may or may not get taken away. So exactly. The, so you know, this is 28 years ago, and 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 so many Halloween shows have happened, um, and you, you know, this is the beginning of the tradition. Do you see? Uh, I mean, you're right. The way you describe it, I remember being sober, uh, very expectant. And like you said, a late start and then a very long kind of slow set. It's not my favorite Beatles album. It's a, it's sort of, to me, has always been a weird one. And there's a lot of slow parts. I remember kind of like almost feeling like I was tripping. And then by the end of it, and especially like the way that they left, uh, like if you become naked and John taking off his dress and becoming naked and waving and fish blowing bubbles and kind of, they walked backwards waving. And it was just like, my head went for an absolute loop. And I normally go back and like hang out with the band back in that, that era. I didn't, I just let them be just like, I, I needed to be with my friends out front. Like what the F just happened? Yeah. Like completely what the hell just happened. And I didn't need another set. Like you said, it was like, I want to go home now. <laughs> but totally. it was a great set. It was a great set. It woke me back up. Yeah. I mean, and there's a feeling like, I think, right. You're like, okay, white album makes sense. Like you say, it kind of like, but no one really thought through what that meant. Like, what does it mean they're going to play the white album? And like, you know, about halfway through, I'm like revolution. I'm like thinking about the album in my head, having listened to it so many times and what's next. You're like, please don't do revolution. Now. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, just all this, like, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it was cool. It was really cool. I actually ended up going. So I drove home to the night, went to Bangor the next night, which was a, a crazy. And I remember there was a guy there, we were up front again and the guy was like, they're going to play on my guitar. They're going to keep playing it. And I was like, I'm like, really? Like, how do you know? Like, that's weird. And then they did. And I was like, it's sort of like all these little things that weren't, were kind of taken for granted that these songs would permeate the set list. Right. Um, that, 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 that this act of learning all this music would kind of like influence a little bit of their sound for a little while between yes. like, we did, we didn't really appreciate that at all. It was just like this, th this thing that they did. It was just nuts. Yeah, um, the costumes that, on, their costumes off. But you're right; it of course permeated the rest of of fish. It became yeah. a little chunk of fish yeah, yeah. every it, time. Yeah, that that brings up a really good uh, a really good point, and that's that. I think I actually have a question for you, Tom, uh, for once. But okay, so you know, as we're we're touching on here in in very significant ways, every Halloween that Fish has done with a musical costume somehow influenced the year that follows you know if you look at it back in hindsight 
you could say you know, the, the who taught them arena rock and the talking heads taught taught them a little bit about funk what did the, you know the, the beatles teach them but but well before we get to that tom you know billy breathes was the first studio release after this it was uh two years later i think to the month october of uh of 1996 so you know you wrote nine of those songs i think there's there's 13 songs on the album uh nine of them were ones that you wrote uh with trey and they feel you know like they could have maybe been a little bit informed by the beatles you know white album era there's a few specifically that, that i'm thinking of did, did you know did you did watching fish perform this album influence you at all as the lyricist uh did you notice any new influence on trey as a composer that maybe wasn't there before um so trey and i were already completely beatles fanatics you know and still are and i'd say the same about page and i think john um but personally like i listened to abbey road and let it be incessantly as a kid growing up and then revolver and then Sergeant Pepper's in high school and not so much the white album, as I was saying, but, but so, I mean, we were already Beatles completists and experts in a way. And so I don't think this changed me much lyrically, but I will say there's probably Beatles in every one of my songs, but it did make me super, super proud of fish. Keep in mind, this was the first total album costume and it was a difficult double album with incredibly demanding singing uh, I didn't know how they would get through the singing and playing um, and, and, and made me realize that Fish could do anything. So I think that realization might have changed me a little bit and set my targets uh, for songs and audience impact a little higher, possibly. So, Aaron, um, you've seen all I think we should get close to wrapping up, but mm -hmm. um, you, you've seen all the other Halloween shows. Yeah. So that means musical costumes of the Who, Talking Heads, Velvet Underground, Rolling Stones, Little Feet. Uh, I'm going to forget David, David Bowie, Bowie. Um, Bowie, their wingsuit mm -hmm. and then right, the theatrical on. ones, Cosvo, yeah. Voxed and uh, Sci-Fi Soldier. Yeah. Rank this Halloween show compared with the others out of a dozen Almost well, it's, I mean, I mean, I, it depends on how you want to rank them, right? I feel like so there's the musical costume, which I think we can all agree was sort of lower in terms. I feel like to me, musically, um, it felt like the Halloween, they were just trying to get through it, like to prove themselves they could do it. Like you were just kind of saying, like you could feel that during the set, like bang, 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 song, song, song. You could feel the rehearsals in the playing, yep. um, which, which was still a marvel to watch, but you yep. weren't like, well, they just blow, blew me away. So um, in terms of that set, you know, the, the costume set, I would rank it near near the bottom. In terms of the, just the Halloween experience, it was definitely um, the anticipation, the just crazy energy, like the uh, the, 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 the music beyond the, the set, um, um, you know, it ranks high. It's an all-timer show to me. Um, yep, yep. And the newness like, of it, the newness. The, the, the newness yeah. of it. I mean, we yeah. not just the newness of it for fish. Like you look around now, Covering songs and covering <laughs> albums is like a thing that people do now. It wasn't a thing in 1994. Like <laughs> you think about all these, like obviously in the jam scene, but you go to New York on Halloween and there's all this like music. I see it. Like you go to Mercury Lounge, you can see three bands are covering an album. I don't, I mean, I don't know what they were doing in 1992 and 93, but I don't think bands no. were doing that. Uh, Fish um, absolutely, Fish absolutely started that as a Halloween tradition for any band cross genre, as you just said. Yeah, I think it was a big thing. And so that's, I mean, that's amazing. Like, and to me, that's, to me, it's like saying, 
well, Clifford Ball was at the best business festival. Well, no, but they like invented the best. Like it was, and so, um, and the fact that, like I say at the beginning, we were talking, like they called their shot. Like they're like, this is going to be a very special show. Like I remember calling up the thing and hearing like whoever Shelly was saying, Halloween, you know, used to call in and be like, Halloween, this and that. And it's going to be a very special show and it's going to start at nine. And I was just like, okay, I'm in. Like, um, so it's like an historical, like, I really think it's one of the, you know, one of those few tent posts of the, of the nineties in terms of like holding up the, wow, this is something they can do. And you're not like surprised because they could do a lot. You've seen them do it, but it was just like, they said they were going to do it and they did it. So you can't replace that when you're talking about the fish pantheon, like that show, it was ridiculous. And it was, it was definitely one. It was definitely one of those ones where you're like more people say they were there than were actually there. Like you said, or they were there, but it was that good where you can say, Oh yeah, I was there. As Tom said earlier, it was the, the most hyped show of the most hyped fish show of all time at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And it was like, my grandparents lived in Glens Falls. That's where we used to go visit my grandparents there. And it was always just blew my mind that this is where we're going to go see fish play the show. Like the whole thing just felt very like surreal to me. And like you say, Tom, they played this thing and they walked off and you're just like, what happened? What just and, happened to my head? I mean, just what, what is going on? And I remember getting out of the show and my friend had taken the set list and he'd written the set list of the White Album. I'm like, why did you, why I always thought that was hilarious. He was like the track listing of the White Album. I'm like, yeah. We, we, we all saw it, man. We, we got, we um, got, it was just yeah. something I think everyone just had to process it in their own way. Yes. It was just well, so it. different. That That's perfect. Well said. Let's stop there. Um, that's it for us today. Uh, really thanks uh, a lot for the interesting conversation and, and our, from our special guest today, Aaron Stein. And thanks, as always, to my co-host, Benji Eisen, and our fellow executive producers, RJB and Matt Dwyer. And thank you everyone out there in podcast land for joining us. If you like us, come back for more. Remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch, and we'll see you in a few days. And until then, don't do anything Benji wouldn't do. Osiris. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Mo, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, 
And my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.